Good morning, my TCC family and those who are our guests today. I recorded this message with Karen's assistance during the week in anticipation of us watching it together along with many of you right now on Sunday morning. Each time I record a message in advance, there's a, there's a bit of a sting, right? A reminder of how much I miss worshiping in person with each of you. Yet that sting is also balanced by the reality of our culture at the moment. In one day this week, I wrote down the names of six new families infected with the coronavirus that I did not know about previously. For some, the effects have been mild, and for others, they've been severe. Uh, please know that our prayer team, our staff, and our leadership team uh, have covered those affected by this with prayer. I thought I might remind you this morning that Josh Harmon leads our prayer ministry. You'll note there are several times throughout the year and even in our services when he calls us to prayer through designated times or even special events. We also have a prayer team that receives requests. They confidentially and regularly pray for the needs that we know of in our church family, as well as those who are connected with our church family. In addition, we have a prayer chain ministry. Most weeks there are several calls that go out to those of us on the list who upon receiving those calls offer up prayers for special needs that come to our attention. If you'd like more information about this ministry or to be on our prayer chain, fill out the Connect card previously mentioned in the service or send an email to Josh. Finally, please know that, that we miss each of you. Right? That we're praying diligently that God will very soon give us the blessing of meeting in person again. A family was on vacation at the lake one summer. Dad was puttering out by the boathouse, and two of his children, a 12-year-old boy and a 3-year-old boy, were playing along the dock. The 12-year-old was supposed to be watching his little brother, but he got distracted. And the 3-year-old boy, his name was Billy, thought it would be a good time to check out that shiny aluminum boat that was tied up at the end of the dock. So he went to the end of the dock and put one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock and you guessed it, he lost his balance. He fell into the water which was about five or six feet deep. The splash alerted the 12-year-old brother who let out a heart-wrenching scream. Dad came running from the boathouse. He, he jumped into the water. He swam down but he couldn't see anything. He had to come up eventually for breath, and sick with panic, he went straight back down into the murky water and began to feel everywhere around the bottom. He couldn't feel a thing. Finally, on his way up, he felt little Billy's arms locked in a death grip on one of the dock posts about four feet underwater. The boy's fingers let go, and the two burst together to the surface to fill their lungs with life-giving air. Finally, when the, the adrenaline had stopped pulsating and the nerves calmed down a bit, the father asked his son, what were you doing down there hanging onto the post so far underwater? Well, little Billy's answer was a, a classic mixed with wisdom only a child could give. He said, I was waiting for you, Daddy, just waiting for you. Friends, today we celebrate that the God of the universe came out of the glory and the splendor of heaven, a place where there was no pain, no disease, no accidents, no death. 
And God plunged into this dark, murky world on a rescue mission. A rescue mission for all who are drowning. A rescue mission for all who are barely able to maintain. A rescue mission for all who are lost in darkness. A rescue mission for all of mankind. Turn to Luke chapter 2, where last week we witnessed the beautiful chaos surrounding the birth of Jesus, the Christ child. And our passage this morning begins the incredible story of when an angel breaks into real life to give the announcement. It's interesting that the first announcement of the infant Jesus' birth was made the night he was born to some shepherds who were close to Bethlehem with their flocks. Pick up with me in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I give you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now many will say that the shepherds of Jesus' day were outcasts partly because of their contact with animals, but even more than that, their reputation for accidentally ending up a day with more sheep than they began with when their sheep had shared pasture with another shepherd. Now others will say the imagery of shepherds in the Bible is mostly positive and that the shepherds here simply represent the fact that God is not just involved with greater special people, but with all people. Well, either way, don't miss the specific words of the angels that are actually being played out here. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Making this known to ordinary shepherds that represented all the people. If you think ahead with me, it was the outcasts, right? The marginalized, the religiously rejected that Jesus embraced when he grew up and carried out his public ministry. Well, it started with shepherds but continued later with fishermen and tax collectors and sinners, right? Paul would later word it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. He says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God calls you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing, what to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Now these shepherds were real, right? And their receiving the announcement was purposeful by God. Yet could it also have been symbolic that they were the ones invited to worship this newborn king? Now from sources outside of the Bible, I think I've told you before, but things written during this time 
From them we understand that many of the sheep raised near Bethlehem were destined to become sacrifices at the temple. I mean, you can't miss the irony of this birth announcement to men whose job it was to prepare sacrifices for the altar at Jerusalem. The angel told them that the child born that night was the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. Some of your translations read Christ the Lord. He, he was to be a Savior, destined to be a deliverer. The NIV here translates Christ as Messiah, and the word translated Lord is the same as the Old Testament Yahweh. <clears throat> there was no interpretation needed, in other words, by these shepherds. They knew this child was the Messiah, God himself. And then at the end of the single angel's announcement, the heavens were filled with innumerable angels, the armies of heaven praising God in a heavenly chorus that celebrated the significance of Jesus. Now these are the angels that scriptures tell us rejoice when a sinner embraces the salvation of God. These are the angels that are peppered throughout the Old Testament, the ones who fought on behalf of God and his people. These are the angels that bowed down to Jesus in worship before he became a man and did and will for all eternity after his return to glory. These are the angels that could have been called upon to rescue Jesus at any point in his life, even rescue him from the cross. And these angels, they didn't just announce, they celebrated the birth of Jesus and the carrying out of God's plan to bring ultimate peace to men by salvation that would be offered through the life and the ultimate death of this child when he grew up to be a man. They declared glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I like to remember in light of this message being given to ordinary shepherds that this is a reminder that this promise even applies to many of us whose only claim to fame is nothing more than that we wake up each day and pursue a life of simple obedience to God. This is why the audience was so beautiful, because this audience represents you and me and all mankind. God is available to each of us, regardless of our name, our background, our history, our rap sheet, our race, our gender, our occupation, or our social standing. I remember once possibly losing a ministry opportunity to someone who had the right, quote, name, a familiar and recognizable name in the Christian church circles. I felt like I was likely more qualified, but definitely not more known by my family name. And it stung. God's message to the shepherds reminds us that this coming of Jesus was good news that will cause great joy for all the people. God had chosen his audience for his son's first visitors. And they reluctantly and they expectantly, I'm sorry, expectantly responded <laughs> after that kind of an introduction. Can you imagine what it what it must have been like to witness the response. It shouldn't surprise anyone that we read beginning in verse 15 of Luke chapter 2, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, 
The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just like they had been told. Like so many other times in the Bible, we see a pattern played out in the lives of the shepherd. And the pattern goes something like this. Come and see, followed by go and tell. They went and witnessed the Christ child. Afterwards, they went throughout Bethlehem and told everyone their story. And people were, according to the different translations, they were amazed. They were astonished. They were impressed. They were surprised. And they were in wonder at the story being told by these ordinary shepherds. Now, friends, you and I, we have a story. A story to be told about when God visited us about how he met us where we were and invited us to let him change our lives, about how he indeed changed us through his grace and about how he offered us hope. And while God's church, his instrument for community and purpose in our lives is a part of our story, our story is not about our church. Our story is about our Father God and his Son, the son he sent to us in the form of the child born to be a savior, our savior. And our story must lead people to his story so that it can become their story of salvation too. And yet for that to happen, we too must respond to him. These shepherds could have come up with reasons or excuses to rival our own about their busyness or their responsibilities or why it logically made sense for someone else to go or the like. And we could argue the merits of our life experience versus that of these shepherds and that they had a visitation by angels. But a pattern and the call remain the same. Come and see, followed by go and tell. You see, the journey of these shepherds ought to be the journey of every person. It starts with amazement at what God has done followed by our simple obedience and by our testifying to the work of God. The result now, just like then, is that, that people are amazed at what God has done as we, as God's people, praise Him for His work. So as we think about these shepherds, we ask ourselves quickly, we ask ourselves um, how quickly do I find myself responding to the call of God? Do you find yourself more characterized by making excuses or by simple obedience? When's the last time you responded to God's unique call for you? The last time you obeyed something that was uncomfortable? The last time you let faith or obedience win out over reason? How much of a claim have you let God lay on your life? What I'm asking is, are, are you a follower of Jesus or are you a disciple of His? Is He not only your Savior, 
but is he also your Lord? After all, this Christ child became a man, died the death of a Savior, and now sits enthroned at the right hand of God. And then finally in our text, having just a small sense of what was to come, can we stop for a moment and take note of Mary's response? Now remember, Luke was telling a larger story than just the story of the birth of Jesus. And he wrote a whole gospel about his life. In fact, Luke begins his account of the life of Jesus with these words from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. He writes, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the earthly disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And so Luke inserted in the middle of this birth narratives the words from Luke chapter 2, verse 19, that says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now I know as a parent how much I treasure the different things that have happened with and to and in the lives of my children as they have lived, right? Aha moments of learning, special moments of loving, unexpected moments of growth, unique times of victory, as well as broken times of heartache. I'm so thankful that I was blessed to experience them with my children and be a part of their lives at those precise moments. And each of those moments helped me to see what God was forming and moving toward in the lives of my children. But come on, nothing I've experienced would be anything like that that was happening to Mary here and going forward in our text. From the angel Gabriel that visited Mary to the angel that visited Joseph to the angel who now visits these shepherds, there have been and will be many confirmations that will show to her again and again that God is orchestrating the life of this child and that incredible things are yet to come. While this isn't the main focus of our message this morning, let's not miss the application for us here. Slow down. Slow down long enough to capture the work of God in and through the lives of the people that God has placed in your life. If you miss the people in the life, in your life, you will have missed the purpose for your life. Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Take inventory of God's working in your life. Invest some time in seeking God for what He's doing around you. Ask Him how you can best be a part of his work. In 1994, two Christian missionaries answered an invitation from the Russian Department of Education to teach morals and ethics in a large orphanage. There were about 100 boys and girls who'd been abandoned, abused, and left in the care of a government-run program who were in the orphanage. It was nearing Christmas, and they decided to tell the story of Christmas to these children. It would be the first time they had heard the story of the birth of Christ. Well, they told them about Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem, finding no room to stay, how the couple went to a stable 
and where the baby Jesus was born and, and, and was placed in a manger. And throughout the story, the children and orphanage staff sat in amazement as they listened. Some sat on the edges of their stools to grasp every word. But when the story was finished, they gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a crude manger. Each child was given a small paper square cut from a yellow napkin that they had brought with them. And then since no colored paper was available in the city, they used those napkins. Well, following instructions, the children tore the paper carefully and laid strips in the manger for straw. Small squares of flannel cut from a worn-out nightgown that an American lady was throwing away as she left Russia, they were used for the baby's blanket. And a doll-like baby was cut from the tan felt which the missionaries had brought with them. It was all going smoothly until one of the missionaries sat down at a table to help a six-year-old boy named Misha. He'd finished his manger, but when the missionary looked at the little boy's manger, she was startled to see not one but two babies in the manger. Quickly, she called for the translator to ask Misha why there were two babies in the manger. And, and crossing his arms in front of him, he looked at the completed manger scene before him. And Misha began to repeat the story very seriously. And for such a young boy who'd only heard the Christmas story once, um, he, he related the, the happenings so accurately until he came to the part where Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger. And then Misha started to ad-lib. He made up his own ending. He said, and when Maria laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. I told him I have no mama and I have no papa and I don't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him, but I told him I couldn't because I don't have a gift to give him like everybody else did, but, but I wanted to stay with Jesus so much, so I, I thought about what I had that I might use for a gift. And I thought, maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anybody ever gave me. So I got into the manger. And then Jesus looked at me, and he told me I could stay with him for always. Well, little Misha finished his story, his eyes brim full of tears, and, and they splashed down his little cheeks. And putting his hand over his face, his, his head dropped to the table, and his shoulders shook as he just sobbed, and he sobbed. The little orphan who'd found someone that would never abandon nor abuse him someone who would stay with him for always. My friends, God is sending you a message today. How will you respond? If we can help, or if we can be part of your response, please reach out to us here at the church.